Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the third episode of this six-part mini-series assessing the growing impact of industrial life cycle assessments on the shipping and transport industries. I'm Craig Eason, a journalist, editor, writer and owner of the Fathom World site and also host of the Aranax podcast. And I'm Rasmus Elspur Jensen. I'm the CEO and founder of Reflow. At Reflow, we make it easy to become data-driven and basically understand everything uh, in regards to climate on products and complex assets like ships. And now in this series, I'm interviewing industry experts from analysts to bankers, cosmetics manufacturers to PhD researchers to understand how life cycles are entwined and connected. And I'm using my guru Rasmus here as my guide and yours to unravel this story to see what the future holds. Thanks, Greg. I'm looking so much uh, forward to this episode as we will talk to Oystein Jensen from the shipowner Artfjern. Oystein is actually one of the very first, uh, to my knowledge at least, uh, chief sustainability officers that we have seen uh, being uh, announced from a shipowner perspective. Um, and here we will um, we will hear a little bit about the complex task of balancing all the sustainability efforts a ship owner really can do in a very competitive landscape. So really exciting. But this is good because, as you know, in our earlier episodes, we heard from the cosmetics company. We heard from a maritime equipment supplier and a sustainable finance expert. So in this perspective, it's really good to be able to get the ship owner and operator perspective and bring that in because ships, well, you know, I used to work on them. They're very large, complex machines. By far, I'd say the biggest mobile man-made thing on our planet. You know, some of them are giants, um, the huge engines. They use huge amounts of fuel, fuel which is created like most fuel in society from crude oil and natural gas. And shipping is a huge industry too. There's hundreds of thousands of ships of varying sizes built for various purposes and to sail at various optimal speeds. And that's a key part of this discussion. That's uh, that's true, Craig. In the last episodes, we, we talked to um, different suppliers and producers. Um, and I think what we're going to hear today from the ship owner's perspective is naturally, as you mentioned, the fuel. The fuel is very important um, in regards to the emissions as a ship owner because the fuel, I've seen some studies that are depending on the design and the operational profile of a vessel is nearing almost 90% of the life cycle emissions of the fuel when it's using uh, traditional fossil fuels. So this is really the one of the first steps that the ship owner will need to look at. And then the next big thing is then saying, okay, now you as a ship owner start to uh, decarbonize your, your fuel. What then? Where does the emissions go? And this is um, and this is where life cycle assessment comes in because life cycle assessment that's also what what we're doing at Reflow is helping the ship owners to understand the emissions, um, building these life cycle assessment models of their ships, or we call them digital climate twins. Uh, so basically, a digital model that allows the ship owners to get a more granular understanding of the emissions of the vessel, not just the fuel, but everything else on the vessel. And so that could work as, as like a baseline. So when the ship owners start looking at changing parameters like the fuel, 
they will have a better understanding of what is it what is happening to the emissions of the vessel it could be that they introduce new technology so so that's super exciting um, and very interesting when ship owners start being lca driven or, or, or more climate driven uh, looking at that data now the big obstacle when we talk about life cycle assessment and, and as a ship owner is data um, and i think there's traditionally been uh, no need for ship owners to keep a structured um, way of, of organizing that data of the different life cycle stages of their vessels. So so it, this is really something that uh, also Oystein from, from Artfield um, starting to work with life cycle assessment will see as an immediate uh, obstacle. Um, but once they start getting the data, and this data could be information from when the ship was built in Korea and what engines have been chosen and how they're maintaining the vessel. Once they start collecting this data and organizing it, it can be introduced into these uh, digital climate twins or, and then they will be able to, to make a lot of modeling. Well, let's hear what Oystein has to say, because let's not forget that Odfiel as a parcel tanker company. They've got lots of different cargoes on their vessels. It may look like it's an, an, a tanker carrying um, liquid products, chemical tanker. But of course, the being parcels, lots of parcels, lots of different cargo owners. So I wanted to start the discussion by asking him about that perspective on sustainability and how he sees that voyage where he's got so many different cargo owners looking at what that particular ship is doing. As you say, we want our vessels, they can have up to, let's say, 50 different customers uh, at, the, at the same time we, and we, we go on a route, uh, right? So so it's almost like uh, I, I tend to compare it to a bus where you all, we want to fill up the passengers all the time. You're never really empty. Uh, so um, uh, when we see that uh, bulk owners or container owners, uh, they are quite clear on their expectancy towards transportation. We don't, do not see that the same with our customers uh, within chemicals. So I remember half a year ago, I said that that will take about nine months. And I think I will stick to that uh, almost promise because we see that there's a lot of attention on reporting now, uh, but we do not see uh, any kind of movements where the logistic uh, departments of, of the major uh, chemical companies that they want to award or, or, or are thinking uh, that it will be a benefit for them to use uh, transport with the lower, lower emissions. Uh, we see that there's, when you're looking at some of these companies, they have stated clear targets on uh, on scope three emissions. And, and that means that we have started also having that educational journey with our, uh, with our contacts within these companies and saying that we are contributing to your scope three. So it will be beneficial for you to use a transporter with lower uh, emissions because that contributes to, you, to, to your scope three. But at the moment it's, it's still only down to the price, but I think that that will change basically due to the inclusion of shipping into the emission trading scheme. That's one thing. And then the other where um, uh, you will have the implementation of the EXI and CII where the ships actually will be rated. So so I think that there will be customers that will we have to be looking at the rating of the vessels that they are using in their supply chain. 
Is there, is there any sort of correlation that you can make at the moment in terms of how you look at the choice of fuel, whether it's ammonia, hydrogen, methanol, methane, or you know, ELNG or whatever they call it, um, or biofuels? How do you look at all of those fuels and, and look at how you put them into a life cycle assessment of a vessel or the vessel's voyage? Yeah, uh, very good points. Uh, we are, of course, monitoring that uh, as everyone else. We see that there's a, a lot of points. And if you read in Tradewinds or other news sites, uh, <laughs> you see that there are uh, there is constantly someone new that, that, that have an idea on what's going to be the future fuel. We are focusing on what we are able to control. So, so I think that the discussion of tank to wake versus well to wake is an important discussion because we are not in a position where we can control the infrastructure or the access. We just need the access to the fuel. And, and when we got that fuel on board, we will make sure that that fuel from a from a tank to uh, to wake perspective uh, is is zero. So this is this is more like a question of when you're going zero, right? Uh, and uh, of course we are doing whatever we can in turn to improve efficiency and uh, in in improve on intensity. But we're looking at the, at a zero target. We are we are thinking this from a from a tank to wake perspective. But we cannot kind of lose sight of the full life cycle perspective either because. As an example, if you're looking at some biofuels today, they have much, much higher uh, total life cycle emission uh, than uh, traditional fuel that we're using today. But um, what we are, what we we try to focus on what we can control, and we can control the technology that we have on board, uh, and we also need access to to zero fuel that are. Uh, that that is zero from uh, from a tank to wake perspective, and, and so, so that, that that is kind of going into the same picture. Have you started to look, even I dare say, to the how the ships are built? You know how you construct a vessel, how you design, build, run, operate, and dismantle a vessel. Yeah. That, um, have, you, have you looked at that? We have at least, we have at least started. <laughs> I, I think that the, the the challenge there is. Where do you actually start, and where do you actually end? Uh, I think that that is a, that is a challenge, uh, and uh, and especially if you think of, uh, of of the scope three element, uh, and I think that that's why uh, this there's have been kind of a delay in reporting of, of scope three because it's it's not hundred percent clear what's what should be covered. So what we have done is that we have initiated a project uh, where we are looking at our vendors, uh, our major vendors, and and we're saying that okay, let's uh, what so the equipments that we buy, let's say we buy pumps, uh, and we want our uh, our vendors to provide the CO two footprint of these products. Um, and of course, there are a lot of vendors that is not capable of, of reporting that and we don't have that data but we have started the process so, so i hope that we will come in a position where we have sufficient amount of vendors that can report on this and we can use kind of a modeling uh to, to give you a proxy understanding of of the vendor side and then of course you have the shipbuilding side uh where um uh, for the next time we will build a vessel, I'm quite sure that we want to make sure that we are able to report on, on the CO2 footprint of actually production of, of that vessel. And then you have the, the, the tail end, right? And the footprint of the actual recycling. But then again, the steel from a recycling, that will also reduce the amount of CO2 compared to from basic steel production. So it, it's much more environmentally friendly to use a recycled steel than to, to use that from, from iron ore, right? So. So we, we, we have 
we have not done a full project on this yet. We have started working with our suppliers. Uh, we want to think uh, what's our what's our position in the total life cycle. Uh, and I think that this will this will be an area that we we see more and more attention from stakeholders. Uh, and uh, we are again having a holistic perspective, uh, but we are thinking about what are we able to control. Uh, and so what we do is that we want to make sure that that we do our business with as less footprint as possible. Uh, but then you come into situations where, where there are no, no choices, right? So, so you need to buy these things. But we, we also want to send a signal to our vendors that this is something that is important for us. And, and let's say given everything else equal, we will, of course, in a while select those with, with less footprints as well because well, you see the new uh, proposals from the SEC uh, on climate reporting, uh, where companies uh, under the SEC have has to report on uh, uh, on scope three uh, or what's material to them. So, so, so I think that this will just increase uh, going forward, and then it comes to a point where we need to report much more on scope three and scope three relevant, or in a kind of life cycle, taking a life cycle perspective, and also report on it uh, much more than we are doing today. That was Oysen Jensen from Oddfield Tankers there, Erasmus. Have, have you seen many other shipping companies begin to take their life cycle assessments this seriously? I think as we also hear from Oystein, the, the, the ship owners have traditionally been very compliance focused uh, because it, will, it can cost money to give, go above and beyond on the climate effort. So traditionally, we have seen a lot of ship owners being driven by the minimum compliance. But we are now actually starting to see ship owners, and we are already working with a handful of them that are incorporating life cycle thinking and LCA models into their work. And this is really interesting because these ship owners have understood that it really is a game about making the best investments. And when you have a model like an LCA model of, of the vessel, you will actually know where you'll have the highest emissions uh, also, if you introduce different types of fuels, and then you will be able to work much more data-driven and, as you could say, get more bang from the buck because the investments will then go directly where you have the emissions instead of shooting in the blind, as we have heard other companies uh, have been doing. You really don't know where you'll have your emissions. So that's really a good thing about the ship owners is starting to work with life cycle thinking. And what is also interesting is we're seeing that some of these ship owners are actually starting to engage with their suppliers and their manufacturers to set different goals. And I will see, well, what we can see is this trend when a ship owner is engaging with the suppliers and, and help them to set goals of the emissions of the products that they buy. This will actually also benefit the supplier market because we will start to see that the environmentally conscious suppliers and the suppliers of higher quality products will be rewarded in this in this uh, in this uh, game because when they produce higher quality products, uh, it might cost more in the beginning, but since they will last longer, they will have to uh, buy few uh, rounds of equipment to compensate. Um, so that really means that the emissions over time will be less, thus having less emissions produced in land because this is really where 
the big emissions of the equipment that we see is being produced. So here we are starting to to also see the effects on land. That strikes me, though, that in the end, what you're going to have is a lot of different information sources that you're going to have to bring in to get your true picture, because it could be like Oyston saying, getting the picture for pumps. It could be um, the life-saving equipment. There's lots of different pieces of equipment that go onto ships. These are extremely complex um, machines. That's true, Craig. When we do these life cycle assessment models of ships, we many times, our engineers are many times doing over three to 400 different life cycle assessment models of each product category. So it is really complex. And that's also why the more a ship owner have made of these, the more data they will uh, build up over time. So they don't need to get primary data from each supplier every time because they will know when I buy a motor or an engine of this size, it will represent this amount of uh, carbon emission equivalent. So they will start to gain the knowledge and, and they don't need to engage with all, the sh- with all the suppliers every time. But I think it is really also a game of saying, okay, now we've got the data, let's beat our uh, baseline. And I think this is where it gets really interesting. That is to for the ship owner to get a baseline of where is our vessel emissions and then engage with the high emitters, the suppliers of products that have high emissions on the vessel and then beat the baseline. Because then you will start to get um, to somewhere really exciting uh, a lot faster. So this is uh, really what we are we are seeing a little trend of today. But I agree there is a lot of data and that is why you will need digital systems like we have here at Reflow and, and other suppliers are, are starting to introduce to manage this lifecycle data. And here you also have an economy of, of scale because the more suppliers you have connected to your system, the easier it will be for the ship owners to get the data uh, much faster. Now, I want to return back to Oyston from Oddfield now, because there's another pressure that I wanted to get his perspective on. Um, when I asked him, he, he reminded me that Oddfield is a listed company on the Oslo Exchange. And as such, it has institutional investors that are already putting questions to him about the company's footprint. At the moment, there are, there are no uh, scope three reporting requirements, uh, but uh, we see that uh, a lot of companies we met with an investor uh, that reports on uh, on their scope three and they wanted to have a dialogue with us uh, because we were one of their major contributors to their scope three so that means that uh, what they told us is that it would be easier for them to sort of divest from us but they thought it was better to having that dialogue with us to make sure that they are following that transition so 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 i think that there will you will see more and more Kind of mature or uh, or conscious uh, investors that taking that perspective, but it, but that's not under the, uh, the existing regulation yet. Then you have the EU taxonomy, uh, and uh, uh, where where you need to sort of meet the a set of different criteria in order to be aligned uh, with with the ambitions, uh, and then the the following regulations under the kind of EU Fit for 55 package. So what we have done is that we have actually reported on the EU taxonomy uh, and our activities uh, to meet these um, two of the uh, two of the major objectives that's uh, that where the screening criteria is uh, is ready um, at the moment i we don't see a a major drive from 
from banks or, or others to make sure that we are, uh, are aligned with the EU taxonomy. Uh, I think that there are numbers around that about 5% of the total activities uh, investment universe is about is uh, taxonomy aligned at the moment. So we are not taxonomy aligned. Uh, we have that that's how we have stated it. Uh, and um, and we, we don't see that that is an issue. What we have done is that we have uh, seen an opportunity of sort of connecting the commitments or of our climate ambitions to our financing. So what we did almost two years ago now is that we made a sustainable financing framework and underneath that framework we have issued the first sustainability linked bond in our industry uh, and we have also done loans under under there. So I think that that will be something that uh, will be more more interesting and more in driving businesses uh, going forward because it's a it's an opportunity for for companies because what we saw is that that was substantially oversubscribed and we got a lot of positive uh, attention uh, on, uh, on on doing that. But from the regulatory side, we don't see that attention to the EU taxonomy. We expect to see that there will be a kind of a massive attention to it when uh, we got the emission trading scheme in the EU uh, going into force. Oisin Jensen from Oddfjell. Now, there are some shipping companies with the resources and capabilities to move the needle. And I'm finding it interesting that Oyston again points to the pressures that he thinks will be increasing through the EU, the taxonomy, for example, the reporting directive and the ETS. Yeah, uh, the maritime industry is something of its own here. And what we hear from Oyston is actually there is a little focus only uh, from the investor sides on the EU taxonomy. That falls in line with what we hear from, from our side is that the investors are not um, looking that much attention to the taxonomy at the moment. They're looking at the ESG ratings uh, more and more, but the taxonomy is somehow a little bit on the side. And I think the reason why we are seeing that is, uh, in, in my opinion at least, is the EU taxonomy in certain areas is a little bit outdated. It has focused on what's called tailpipe emissions or direct emissions. So it really uh, focuses on the emissions coming out of the uh, out of the engine instead of looking at, in this case, the whole ship. Um, and that is really a shame because um, as many sh ship owners are starting to decarbonize their vessels, they are introducing a lot of new technologies. This could be investing in hybrid propulsion with batteries um, and other technologies. And these technologies might not emit uh, emissions directly into the air, but we do know that batteries, they leave a substantial carbon footprint somewhere on the planet uh, from its rare earth minerals and all the processes it takes to um, to work with these minerals. So we do know that emissions are being emitted, but since the taxonomy is not addressing those, um, it is hard for also the ship owners and the equipment manufacturers to really follow along here. Because if you look at this, the EU taxonomy, uh, as I've read it, when you have a vessel where you are introducing batteries, for example. Well, the taxonomy would categorize this as a zero emission vessel. And that's, um, in my opinion, a problem. Um, and that's also why we're seeing countries like Denmark and other EU countries are launching initiatives right now to introduce life cycle thinking as a way to uh, bring, you could say, the, the whole emission game up in the perspective. Because if we run around calling all our solutions zero emission because we're introducing batteries or fuel cells 
Are we introducing new types of fuels? Well, then we're going to have a problem pretty quick because we are moving the emissions away from the sea into land. And we start using rare earth minerals. We start using uh, resources uh, and moving our planetary boundaries somewhere faster than if we start incorporating this life cycle thinking and really seeing if we are doing any burden shifting. And that's what it's called when you move the emissions from one area to another. That is um, that is burden shifting. And if you start doing that, it is very important that you incorporate methods like life cycle assessment to assess it so you know before you make the investment, is this also good for the planet or is it just uh, a good investment? And that is really what the um, EU um, taxonomy is all about. But the way I see it is not really up to date. And that's also why we are seeing organizations like Sea Europe is really moving and pushing um, um, EU to start incorporating life cycle thinking into their assessment of the EU uh, taxonomy. So, so that's interesting to see what that lands. Now, as we heard from Oyston and as we've seen from the work at the IMO, there's now discussions about the life cycle assessment story and shipping from a fuel perspective. This has begun, but the focus is squarely on fuels, as you said said here, Rasmus. It's it's very much a case of do we want to focus on the fuel or do we want to focus on the whole ship to get the whole perspective of the ship? Because there's so many other things going. In future episodes, we're actually going to touch on that, touch on the uh, on that aspect that you were talking about. But it is unfortunately, I think, getting political. Shipping is under pressure to decarbonize. And just as a reminder, the IMO, or rather the United Nations member states that attend the IMO committee meetings, have agreed to a decarbonisation trajectory for shipping. There's pressure for this to be sped up and effectively means finding new fuels for vessels, current and future vessels. And this is where the discussions are getting very detailed. There are fuels such as hydrogen and ammonia, which when used as a fuel on a ship will emit no CO2 emissions. And then there's fuels like synthetic natural gas, methanol, which do. However, the latter fuels will use or can use captured CO2 when they're made. So it is a very complex picture. Additionally, ammonia made today comes from hydrocarbons, as does methanol and LNG. So this transition needs a definite picture of the fuel life cycle. So this discussion is now at the IMO and it will likely be up for increased discussions in December when the IMO's Marine Environmental Protection Committee, MEPC, meets again. So clearly, we now need to talk about life cycle assessment of marine fuels here, Rasmus. So I met with two people recently that helped me understand a little bit about this. One is Anne O'Connor, who has a dedicated role at the Merck McKinney Muller Centre for Zero Carbon Shipping. And the other, in, the other one is Megan Rue. She's a PhD researcher at the Technical University of Denmark. Here's Anne O'Connor on her definition of LCAs for marine fuels. Basically, an LCA analysis is extremely comprehensive. It is it looks at a wide range of environmental impacts. Um, it looks at the energy required by um, the system to produce uh, the fuel, uh, to transport the fuel to the user to actually combust and use the fuel on board the vessel. 
And so it looks at the energy required by that system and um, plus the material use. And it looks at the climate impacts of, of those two main inputs. And then it expresses the output as a whole range of different environmental impacts. So Rasmus, from what I heard here, the ship owners are still unclear of what they are going to need to do. The fuel choices are there, a handful of key ones really, but the regulators have not finished writing the rules or guidance that the ship owners need, particularly when it comes to a fuel LCA. So what's your take on this at the moment? How hard is it going to be to do um, an LCA of a marine fuel, given how many factors will go into how the fuel can or will be made? Yeah, I think I think Craig, um, what we hear here from from Anne O'Connor is um, is a, is really a shame that it it takes so long time to to put a standard in place to on how to assess these fuels because if if the I see if the industry have that in place, it will be easier for them to measure apples and apples. But that's not going on in the moment, so it's really. Uh, difficult for the many ship owners to know where to make their investments. We have ship owners like Maersk that are investing heavily into methanol, um, but that is that is just one out of many ship owners. And I think one of the big interesting factors is when we're introducing a new fuel, that is that we're basically creating a whole new supply chain um, that will also make emissions in the um, in the whole new creation. And I think to go all the way back when you do an LCA, you go all the way back to the feedstock. That means what goes into making the fuel. And the problem here is if you're starting to look at a biofuel, as we also heard a little bit about, so a biofuel is based on a biomass. And many producers are looking to introduce or to use waste uh, elements into this biomass. And that could be um, different shells that are not being used or it could be some waste product from making coffee or something like that. But the problem is that when you start engaging a new feedstock, you will also um, start making it perhaps a primary element. And that means that when you're looking at the maritime industry, I read somewhere that every year requires 75 million tons of fuel. Um, so this is really a, a lot of fuel that the industry is in need of. And if you start basing it on on certain fuels, uh, feedstock, you can risk that you are changing the whole supply chain of this feedstock or this that used to be waste. Suddenly you can end up having uh, manufacturers that are exclusively producing coffee just to have the uh, waste product. And then they start starting to change behavior. And that is some consequences that we are not aware of and that is why you will need LCA to also look at the consequences of choosing new feedstock, new fuels um, and that is that is really uh, important. Another thing is also that many of these processes will require energy to be added to the processes when you create these new fuels and that is something that uh, traditionally on fossil fuels we have not looked at but when you are designing new uh, new fuels, it's really important that you end up not introducing more energy than you actually are saving by creating this fuel. Um, so it's important that you balance out all these processes so the energy consumption or the emissions being produced to, to produce this energy is less than uh, the alternatives out there. And that's also where green energy is super important and very important. 
So there is a big demand of fuel out there from the maritime industry, and it is one of the first areas that they will need to look at. But we also know it requires a lot of fuel. And and now I said 75 million tons of fuel per year. Now we are seeing some of the newer fuels have a, le- a less in a energy intensity. So I've seen some examples. You will require triple the volume of fuel to compensate for the uh, very dense energy dense uh, fossil fuel that we have uh, that we're using today. So this really underlines the need for LCA and also underlines the need for legislators to agree on how do we assess the fuel uh, very, very fast, because we can risk having ship owners or producers invested in technologies that can actually do more harm than good. And we will not know because we will not have enough decision, a high decision um, grade data to make the decision on. It, it, it's, it's something that is really central. And that's also why it's so important that MERS McKinney Center is focusing on this area that we will need to have these standards in place. We will need to have, if at least there is no standard from the uh, legislation side, then there could be some industry standards that will be introduced. And I think that might be what's going to happen in the future. Thanks, Rasmus. So in our next episode, we're going to go a bit deeper into this with Anna Connor and Megan Rue on just how a life cycle assessment process is evolving for marine fuels and how LCAs and the well-to-wake analysis of a fuel are not the same thing. Thank you for listening to this episode brought to you by Fathom World in partnership with Reflow, a life cycle assessment expert in Copenhagen, Denmark. I'm Craig Eason, editor and owner of the Fathom World website, host of the Aronex podcast. You can sign up for the regular Fathom World newsletter, as well as follow this podcast on Spotify and most podcast apps. And I'm Rasmus from Reflow, and you can follow Reflow and Fathom World on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and of course, you can stay in touch with all the magic that's uh, happening. And until next episode, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.